sisters and brothers in our Lord Jesus Christ, over the past number of years, really since the events of September 11, 2001, the threat of radical terrorism has been a very real presence in this world. Terrorist organizations like Al-Qaeda in Afghanistan, and more recently, Al-Shabaab in Somalia and Kenya, Boko Haram in Nigeria, and ISIS in Iraq and Syria have been a regular part of our evening news, even here in Kitchener. Most recently, of course, our hearts have been broken by such terrible and devastating events as the plane crash in Egypt last October, the bombings in Paris in November, and just two weeks ago, the execution of 300 police and army personnel in Mosul, Iraq. These acts of terrorism, true to their name, are committed in order to inspire fear in the lives of people around the world, to send the message that no one is safe, no matter what country we live in, no matter our wealth or social status, no matter the color of our skin, no matter our political leanings, the goal of terrorism is to inspire fear in people's hearts. And I find Psalm 10, with its refrain at the end, for God to rise up so that man who is of the earth may terrify no more. I find Psalm 10 to be particularly powerful when it's read in the light of these current events. Psalm 10 calls out powerfully to God to reveal himself in the face of evil, to bring justice in the face of wickedness, to bring an end to violence and oppression on the face of the earth. In what is sometimes uncomfortable language, the psalm cries out to God to break the arms of wicked men, to call them to account for their wickedness. The psalm calls on God to take up his rightful place as king and bring justice to the earth. At its core, the psalm asks a very basic question that many people throughout the Bible and throughout history have asked. In the words of Job, why do the wicked prosper? It's sort of the opposite of the question, why do bad things happen to good people? What the psalmist is asking here is, why don't bad things happen to bad people? The question the psalmist is asking is, why doesn't God hold evil people accountable for the things that they've done? Why does God allow wicked people to live on while good people are trampled under their feet? Why doesn't God do something? In the face of wickedness, in the face of evil, in the face of terror, the psalmist cries out, Why, O Lord, do you stand far off? Why do you hide your face in times of trouble? Why does God feel so far away when evil people strike the earth with fear? Why does God feel absent when terror takes hold of our lives. And so the psalmist calls on God to rise up, to break the arm of the wicked and evil man, to hold him accountable for his wickedness, to take up his throne as king and judge over all the earth. Psalms like Psalm 10, if you look in commentaries and stuff, they're called imprecatory psalms. 
And that's a mouthful of a word, and normally I try to avoid uh, technical titles like that when I'm preaching, but, but there's really no better word to describe these kinds of psalms. And an imprecation is a curse. That's what it is. An imprecation is a curse. So I guess you could call these curse psalms, but that feels a little uncomfortable uh, when we say it that way, that, 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 we're, that we're looking at curse psalms. But anyway, these, these curse psalms, and there's a number of them in the book of Psalms, about a dozen or so, they call down a curse from God on wicked people, on evil people. This psalm calls on God to break their arms. Psalm 5 calls on God to banish them for their many sins. Psalm 17 calls on God to confront them and take them down. Psalm 35 calls on God to disgrace them, to put them to shame, to drive them away. And while they're being driven away, to make their path dark and slippery so that they fall into a pit. Psalm 58 asks God to break their teeth and make them disappear. Psalm 59 prays for God to consume them in his wrath, consume them till they are no more. Psalm 69 is maybe the most disturbing. The psalmist writes, pour out your wrath on them. Let your fierce anger overtake them. Charge them with crime upon crime. Do not let them share in your salvation. Blot them out from the book of life, that they may not be listed with the righteous. What would make someone pray like this? I mean, I think that we can understand prayers like Psalm 10 and Psalm 17, for God to break someone's arm, for God to punch someone in the mouth and make them disappear, but we think of them as like the prayers of an angry seven-year-old boy like, dear God, I don't like Jimmy. Please punch him in the mouth and make him disappear. <laughs> but a psalm, a prayer like Psalm 69, that asks God to cut someone off from the promise of salvation, to blot someone's name out of the book of life, effectively to condemn someone to hell, what could cause someone to pray a prayer like this? What could possess someone to pray a prayer asking for God to take away the possibility of forgiveness and redemption? What could happen to cause someone to pray a prayer asking for God to curse someone? On the one hand, our more respectable selves maybe are offended and horrified that there are prayers like this in the Bible. But I think that deep down, we know, we understand. We have people in this congregation who lived through the horrors of World War II, who lived through Nazi occupation. We have people who survived ISIS attacks. And we have people who have experienced terrible suffering that never made it to international news bullying, abuse, sexual assault. Even if we haven't experienced these things ourselves, we know people who have. 
And in those circumstances, I don't think it's so hard for us to imagine praying such a prayer. In circumstances of such profound pain, such profound suffering, such overwhelming fear, I don't think it's hard for us to imagine praying a prayer like that at all. Break the arm of the wicked and evil man. Call him to account for his wickedness, for his wickedness, for his secret sin that would not be found out. Cut him off from the book of life. Do not let him share in the joy of your salvation. Punch him in the mouth and make him disappear. But still, these prayers make us uncomfortable. I mean, they're uncomfortable prayers. I think a lot of the time when, when we are angry enough or, or, or vengeful enough to, to actually pray prayers like this, when we're so full of anger and hatred that we want to pray for God to curse our enemies, even then we don't. Because we think of the words of Jesus from Matthew chapter 6, where he tells us, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. So how do we reconcile these two things? How do we reconcile these, these imprecatory prayers, these, these curse songs, with Christ's command to love our enemies? First of all, I think it's important for us to remember that Jesus' teaching wasn't all hugs and roses either. Jesus has harsh words for the enemies of God. Matthew 23, for example, is a, is a passage that I, I bet you've never heard a sermon on in your life. Matthew 23 is a whole chapter where Jesus calls down curse after curse on the Pharisees for their hypocrisy. It's a whole chapter in the gospel of curses that Jesus speaks against the Pharisees. And I want to read you just a short section of it from verses 13 and 15. Jesus says, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You shut the kingdom of heaven in people's faces. You yourselves do not enter there, nor will you let those enter who are trying to. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites! You travel over land and sea to win a single convert, and when he becomes one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as you are. These are the words of Jesus to the Pharisees. The reason I point this out is not because it makes it any easier for us to reconcile Psalm 10 with the command to love your, to love your enemy. The, the reason I point this out is because I think that it's very easy for us to sort of dismiss this problem and say, oh, well, that's the Old Testament. Jesus in the New Testament tells us to love. Those curses are part of the Old Testament. The New Testament isn't about that. That, that becomes an easy thing for us to do, and I just I, I wanted to point that out um, because because this isn't just a New Testament Old Testament thing. The New Testament in the New Testament, Jesus tells us to love our enemy, but he also pronounces a curse on the Pharisees. And Paul does the same thing all through Paul's letters. You see him repeating the command over and over again to love your enemy, do good to those who hate you, to put others above yourself, to fight evil with good. But then you have these passages like at the end of the letter to the Corinthians, at the end of 1 Corinthians, in chapter 16, verse 22, right at the end of the letter, this is like his, he, he's just been building up this beautiful, beautiful argument, and then, boom, 
If anyone does not love the Lord, may they be cursed. Come quickly, Lord Jesus. In Galatians 5 verse 12, Paul says that he wishes, sorry, Paul says that he wishes the people who were causing trouble in the Corinthian church would cut off their own manhood. I'm not even joking. In 2 Timothy 4 verse 14, Paul tells Timothy that a man who he calls Alexander the metal worker did him much harm and ominously prays that God would repay him for what he had done. So this isn't just an Old Testament, New Testament problem that we can easily dismiss. Jesus calls us to love our enemies, but then there are these curse prayers throughout the Bible, even by Jesus. And how do we make sense of these? But I think that we find the answer right here in Psalm 10. In verse 16, the psalmist calls upon God as king. And this isn't without meaning. The king in the Old Testament was the ultimate authority to provide justice for the people of God. When you read through the book of Deuteronomy, it becomes clear that the primary job of the king in Israel is to ensure justice for the people under his rule, to care for the poor and the oppressed, to uphold the righteous, to punish the wicked. And that's why the king's authority in the Old Testament came from God, because God is a God of justice. Throughout the Bible, this theme is emphasized again and again. God is a God of justice. God hates evil. God cannot abide wickedness. God gets angry about injustice. And so in the face of wickedness and terror, in the face of the great suffering caused by evil and wicked people, the psalmist calls on God as the king of the earth. The Lord is king forever and ever. The nations will perish from his land. You hear, O Lord, the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry, defending the fatherless and the oppressed in order that man who is of the earth may terrify no more. What Psalm 10 teaches us then is to give up our rage, our hatred, our anger, our desire for vengeance to God, to give those things to God. Because he is the judge of all the earth. He is the only one in whom true justice is found. What Psalm 10 teaches us is that when we are wronged by evil people, so much so that we desire them to be cursed forever, we can bring that to God. We can lay that at his feet and give up our vengeance and our hatred to him. Because even if it feels like God has turned his back on us, even if it feels like God has hidden his face, the psalmist testifies, you hear, O Lord, the desire of the afflicted. You encourage them and you listen to their cry. So these imprecatory prayers, these curse psalms, they teach us to offer up our, our true feelings, the deep 
feelings of our heart, even our dark feelings, to God. To lay these things as an offering before the throne of God our King. To let Him deal with it. And what this does then, is this frees us from allowing those feelings to control us. Praying this way frees us from being controlled by our anger and our rage. It frees us from being controlled by our hatred. We give these things up to God. We lay them at his feet. We offer them up as a sacrifice to the judge of heaven and earth. And through that freedom from rage and hatred and anger and vengeance, we open ourselves up to Jesus' command to love our enemies. By giving these things up to God, by giving them over to Him, we trust Him to do what is right. We want justice to be done. We want evil to be punished. And we want wickedness to meet its rightful end. And what God does through these imprecatory prayers, through these curse psalms, fulfills both needs. We lay our curses, our anger, our hatred, our desire for revenge at the foot of his throne. Knowing that he is just knowing that he is good, knowing that he will repay the wicked for the suffering that they have brought on the earth, we lay them at his feet, giving him our revenge. And through that offering, God frees us from our fear, from our hatred, from our anger, and we create space within ourselves for God to fill us with his love and with his peace so that we can be his hands and feet in the world. And by doing that, by giving these things up to God, we give him what is rightfully his. When we try and take revenge into our own hands, we do so by our own human standards, and it becomes a very real danger that we do what is righteous in our own eyes. But by offering our rage and our vengeance up to God, we give justice the place that it rightfully belongs in the hands of the God who is king over all the earth, in the hands of our Lord Jesus Christ, who died for the forgiveness of our many sins. And even if we don't have feelings like this ourselves, even if we don't feel controlled by rage and by anger and by hatred, Prayers like Psalm 10 invite us into the experience of our brothers and sisters in Christ who do wrestle with feelings like this in their hearts. Psalm 10 invites us into the experience of our brothers and sisters in Christ who suffer persecution and death for their faith. Psalm 10 invites us to pray in solidarity with our fellow Christians who have endured terrible suffering that causes them to cry out to God in this way. For those of us who live in prosperity and in wealth and in security, Psalm 10 is a powerful reminder that there are many who suffer in this world, many who cry out to God to take their revenge and their anger so that they may be free of their hate. 
Psalm 10 reminds us to pray in solidarity with those who suffer and teaches us how to pray for when we experience suffering. And so in the face of terror, in the face of injustice, in the face of wicked people who terrorize the earth, we pray, come quickly, Lord Jesus, come quickly. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and all God's people said, O Lord, our King, righteous judge over all the earth, we pray with our brothers and sisters who experience suffering every day of their lives that you would break the arm of the wicked, that you would bring an end to suffering and evil, that you would call them to account for their wicked ways. We pray that you would come quickly, Lord Jesus, to establish your kingdom on the earth, a kingdom of justice and peace, so that all may know that you are God. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray, who rules from your right hand. Amen. <clears throat>